Good evening. Good evening. Thanks for braving the elements and being here tonight. You have extra brownie points in heaven, I'm sure. Uh, also, choir's not singing, but we thank Steve Seagraves for uh, helping with us today. Also, we are blessed that uh, Rick Helderop is still on vacation because at the organ, we have Dr. Stanley Walden. So we welcome him to Redeemer. Great to have him. And Lent devotionals are throughout the, the uh, building. There's some in the narthex, there's some in the town square, so please take time to pick one of those up. And we rise for opening him. name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, God made Adam man of dust in his image. We are We deserve God's curse, for we have sinned. You turn us back to dust, Lord. Before the day we die, we come to you with ashes upon our hearts, the mark of the curse. We turn from our sin to face you, Lord. Forgive us and restore us for Jesus' sake. And speak to us another word besides ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Assemble to hear God's word and receive his blessed son. We admit that we cannot free ourselves from our sinful nature. Therefore, we take refuge in God's infinite mercy, seeking and imploring his grace for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. God be merciful to us. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and lead us to life. 
Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, has had mercy on you and has given his only Son to die for you, and for his sake forgives you all your sins. As a called and ordained servant of the word, I therefore assure you your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Invite the children to come forward. Christmas box, you think of a gift, you get a gift. Now, Jesus was born, and that's why we celebrate Christmas. 33 years would pass, and Jesus would start unwrapping the gift he bought for us, going to the cross. And that's what we're celebrating this Lent. That's the gift Jesus gave us, going to the cross to pay the price for our sins, to die and rise again. And so that's what we celebrate. Today is also Ash Wednesday, and Ash Wednesday is a, a tradition of putting ashes on your forehead in the shape of the cross. The ashes are a reminder we're sorry for our sins, and we're reminded of the cross Jesus went to for us. So if you want to come up and get your gift here and receive ashes, come on up. You don't have to, but if you want to, they don't hurt. Remember, Jesus always loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus always loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Oh, that's a good one. There you go. For I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Those who want to kill me set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they scheme and lie. I am like the deaf who cannot hear, like the mute who cannot speak. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the government. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God, as we walked about among the worshipers. I am not referring to all of you. 
I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I offer my back to those who beat me. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. One day, little Susie was in school, and the teacher said, you can draw any picture you want, something that really happened in your life or in the past. And little Susie, she drew a big fish with Jonah being swallowed by the big fish. Teacher said to Susie, now Susie, do you really think there was a big enough fish to swallow a man by the name of Jonah? She said, well, I believe it because that's what the Bible says. Well, what if it's not true, the teacher said. Susie said, well, when I get to heaven, I'll, I'll ask Jonah. And the teacher said, well, what if Jonah's not in heaven but hell? Little Susie said, well, then I guess you can ask her. <laughs> we're in the season of Lent, and we're doing a little different study this year. We, we want to look at the evidence of Christ's existence, his death, and resurrection. 
Now, this week and next week, there's a lot of reading. We're, we're quoting people. This week, we're talking about people who were unbelievers, hostile to the gospel message, yet write about Jesus. Next week, it's the apostolic fathers the vicar will be talking about. Apostolic fathers are those who were educated under the apostles or the generation later. And it is a lot of reading, but we want to lay a foundation to understand what and who people believe Jesus was. Now, what really inspired this whole series, Dr. John Hankey, a member of Redeemer, he always gets me books, and he got me this one, The Case for Jesus. And like all the books he gets me, they're just way over my head. <laughs> but Lee Strobel, The Case for Jesus, The Case for the Real Jesus, it's amazing. Lee Strobel set out, he wasn't a believer, he set out to prove Jesus never existed. And in the midst of his research, he became a believer. Apologetics. It's not apologizing. Apologetics is arguing a case from a position of reason. And I like challenging scripture. I like approaching scripture with reason and asking some of the difficult questions. And so we're looking at did Jesus really exist? Did he die? Did he rise again? Is there any truth to the claims? The following weeks after the two introductions of ancient church fathers, apostolic fathers, and outside sources, are going to look at scripture and the account of scripture. If you were falsifying a story, would you write the story the way it is written? Also, if you were to make up a story about a resurrected Christ, you would not proclaim that story if it weren't true, because Jesus would still be in the tomb, you wouldn't proclaim it where it all happened. You'd go somewhere else. There's too many voices to go against what you're proclaiming. Now, the first gospel is not written, the gospel marked till 70 A.D. And some of the readings that we're going to cover today are well before 70 A.D. People outside of Christendom, people who don't believe in Jesus, and yet write about him. Phallus, 52 A.D. Now, unfortunately, we do not have any of the material that he wrote. But a man by the name of Julius Africanus, he lived in 220. He had the documents in front of him. Julius Africanus is a believer, obviously from Africa. He is one who argues for the faith. And obviously, Phallus still had a lot of influence at the time he's writing. So he's going against what Phallus wrote. Phallus. On the whole world, there pressed a most fearful darkness. And the rocks were rent by an earthquake, and many places in Judea and other districts were thrown down. This darkness, Phallus, in the third book of his history, calls, as appears to me without reason, an eclipse of the sun. Obviously, Phallus was alive when Christ was crucified. We're told at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Phallus is trying to explain away this darkness by saying it was an eclipse. Tacitus. Tacitus is perhaps one of the most renowned, trusted historians. And he writes about Nero persecuting the Christians. Remember, Rome caught on fire. Nero blames the Christians. Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations. Where you have a reference to abominations, I believe it is a reference to the practice of the Eucharist in the early church. Outsiders were looking at that saying, oh my gosh, these people are eating flesh and drinking blood. So they called it an abomination, called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, 
Pontius Pilate. And the most mischievous superstition, this idea of mischievous, we believe is the teaching of the resurrection. Thus checked for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. Here, he tells us Jesus lived in Judea, was crucified under Pontius Pilate. His but followers were persecuted for what they believed. In 1961, we found what is called the Pilate Stone. Pilate built a temple in honor of the emperor. And outside the temple is a statue in the Pilate Stone that refers to Pontius Pilate as the one building that temple. Meribar Serapion, he's a Syrian philosopher and he's writing to his son to encourage him. He's talking about how wise people have been mistreated and how we should live our life. What else can we say when the wise are forcibly dragged off by tyrants? Their wisdom is captured by insults and their minds are oppressed and without defense. What advantage did the Athenians gain by murdering Socrates? for which they were repaid with famine and pestilence, or the people of Simos by burning the Pythagoras, because their country was completely covered in sand in just one hour, or the Jews by killing their wise king because their kingdom was taken away at that very moment. God justly repaid the wisdom of these three men. The Athenians died of famine. The Simos were completely overwhelmed by the sea, and the Jews, desolate and driven from their own kingdom, are scattered through every nation, talking about the, the destruction of 70 AD. Socrates is not dead because of Plato. Neither is Pythagoras because of the statue of Juno, nor is the wise king because of the new laws he laid down. Now, he doesn't mention Jesus, but he does call him the wise king. What did Pontius Pilate put above his cross? Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. The religious belief, uh, uh, leaders made fun of him, calling him King of the Jews. It would only make sense that this writer would refer to Christ as the wise king. Phlegon. Phlegon wrote, and again, unfortunately, we don't have this material but we do have written documents from Christians who are debating this material. This is again from Africanus. Phlegon records that in time of Tiberius Caesar, at a full moon, there was a full eclipse of the sun from the sixth hour to the ninth, again going back to the crucifixion of Christ. Origen, which we'll hear more about next week, writing about Phlegon, now, Phlegon, in the 13th or 14th book, I think, of his Chronicles, not only ascribed to Jesus a knowledge of future events, but also testified the result corresponded to his predictions. Not only did Jesus talk about the future, but what he talked about became true. And with regard to the eclipse in the time of Tiberius Caesar, in whose reign Jesus appears to have been crucified, and the great earthquakes which took place, Origen also writes this, Jesus while alive, so he's referring to Phlegon and what he wrote, Jesus while alive was of no assistance to himself, but that he arose after death and exhibited the marks of his punishment and showed how his hands had been pierced by nails. Think of doubting Thomas and Jesus showing the marks. Pliny, the younger, he's a Roman scholar. He's writing to the Roman emperor, and he's talking about the Christians and how they meet on a regular basis. They, the Christians, were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light. When they sang in the alternative verses, a, a hymn to Christ, as to God, and bound themselves by a solemn oath, not to any wicked deeds, but never to commit any fraud, theft, or adultery, never to falsify their word, nor deny a trust when they should be called upon to deliver it up, after which it was their custom to separate and then reassemble to partake of a food, but a food of ordinary and innocent kind. Could be a reference to the Eucharist. But we're told right at the beginning of Acts that the early Christians gathered 
on the first day, not Saturday, which was the Sabbath for the Jews, but on Sunday, because that was the day Jesus rose. Suetonius. Suetonius, a Roman historian, and he writes this. And what's interesting, we find it supported in Scripture. Because the Jews at Rome, and he lived from 69 to 140 AD, because the Jews at Rome caused constant disturbances at the instigation of Christos, Christ, he, Claudius, expelled them from the city of Rome. Now listen to Acts 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Here we have the support of an outside source that supports scripture about how the Christians had to leave Rome. Lucian of Samosata, he's, uh, he's uh, Greek, he's a comedian, okay? And like comedians nowadays, he made a lot of fun of the Christians. In fact, he would write a play that was produced. And in this play, there was this man who didn't believe in Christ, but pretended to be a Christian and went to the Christians, and those Christians are so gullible, they'll take anybody in. They fed him, took care of him. He was living a pretty good life, uh, taking advantage of the Christians. And then at one point, he ate food sacrificed to idols, and he was excommunicated. That goes very well with what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians about food sacrificed to idols. Listen to what he writes. The Christians, you know, worship a man to this day, the distinguished personage who introduced their novel rites and was crucified on that account. You see, these misguided creatures start with the general conviction that they are immortal for all time, which explains the contempt of death and voluntary self-devotion, which are so common among them. That's fascinating, he points that out, that so many Christians were being martyred, and they were willing to be martyred because they believed there was life beyond this world. And then it was impressed on them by their original lawgiver that they are all brothers from the moment they are converted and deny the gods of Greece that they were brothers and sisters in Christ. He's exactly teaching what Christ in all of Scripture teaches and worship the crucified sage and live after his laws. All this they take quite on faith with the result that they despise all worldly goods alike, regarding them merely as common property. We're told in the book of Acts right at the beginning, all Christians had things in common. They shared whatever anyone needed. Celsus, very antagonistic toward believers. And I know he didn't intend to, but all his writing against Christianity, in his writing he alludes to 80 different biblical quotes. Here he talks about Jesus here. Jesus had come from a village in Judea and was the son of a poor Jewess who gained her living by the work of her own hands. Her mother had been turned out of doors by her husband, who was a carpenter by trade, on being convicted of adultery, now this is in parentheses, with a soldier named Panthera, being thus driven away by her husband and wandering about in disgrace, she gave birth to Jesus, a bastard. The parentheses, this soldier named Panthera, what's interesting, it was the Jewish religious leaders after Christ's ascension, as Christianity is growing, to go against the virgin birth, they made that story up about the soldier. Here, Celsus picks up on that. Now notice what he does say, some is true. In Matthew 1.19, Jesus, his stepfather, is a carpenter. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. It fits very well with Scripture. One more last person, perhaps the most famous or recognizable to all of us, Josephus. Born 37 to 101 AD. He was born about four years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
He was a consultant to Jewish rabbis at an early age. He became a Galilean military commander by age 16. And he was an eyewitness to many of the things that he documents. Now around this time lived Jesus, a wise man, for he is a worker of amazing deeds and was a teacher of people who gladly accept the truth. He went over both many Jews and many Greeks. Pilate, when he heard him accused by the leading men among us, condemned him to the cross. But those who at first loved him did not cease doing so. To this day, the tribe of Christians named after him has not disappeared. At another place, Josephus writes, at this time there was a wise man who was called Jesus. His conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. And many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. But those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive accordingly. He was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets recounted wonders. And one more from Josephus. One of the things we're going to look at as evidence that Scripture is true is Jesus' brother coming to faith. James doesn't come to faith until after the resurrection. Up till that time, he thinks his brother's a lunatic. Now Josephus talks about James and the death of James. And now Caesar, upon hearing of the death of Festus, sent Ambenius into Judea as governor. But the king deprived Joseph of the high priesthood and bestowed the succession to the, that dignity on the son of Ananus, who was also himself called Ananus. But this younger Ananus, who, as we have told you already, took the high priesthood, was a bold man in his temper and very insolent. He was also of the sect of the Sadducees, who are very rigid in judging offenders, above all the rest of the Jews, as we have already observed. When therefore Ananus was of the dis dis disposition, he thought he had now a proper opportunity to exercise his authority. Festus was now dead, and Albinus was but on the road. So he assembled the Sanhedrin of judges and brought them the brother of Jesus, who was called Christ, whose name was James, and some others. And when they had formed an accusation against them as breakers of the law, he delivered them to be stoned. This is 62 AD. Pretty competent of that year. What is interesting, we have found an ossuary. Now, an ossuary contains the bones of a person who obviously is dead. Before they go to the ossuary, they are like Jesus. They are laid out in a tomb. There is a period of time letting the body decay. Once the body is decayed, you take the bones and put it in an ossuary. We have discovered an ossuary that says, engraved on the stone, James, the son of Joseph. Now, sometimes if you had a sibling who was well-known or famous, their name would be in it. James, the son of Joseph, the brother of Jesus. You can see from the secular record, we know Jesus existed. We know Pontius Pilate. We know the people in position and power at the time. We know Christ was crucified. Scripture indicates he rose from the dead. By faith, we believe that. And yet even Josephus indicates the believers believe that. And as we continue our journey in Lent, I know many of us might sit here and say, well, I believe that. You don't have to tell me. I know. But what about the questioners out there? What about the doubters? What about the skeptics? Sometimes they need more than just its faith. Maybe they need some reasoning. Maybe they need some evidence. Maybe they need to realize there's more than just a fairy tale here about a God who became one of us to redeem us to give us forgiveness and the gift of eternity. And that's what we celebrate this Lent. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, amen. At this time we receive our offering.
rise for prayer. Merciful God, you called us forth from the dust of the earth. You claimed us for Christ in the waters of baptism. Look upon us as we enter these 40 days bearing the marks of ashes and bless the journey through the desert of Lent to the font of rebirth. Give us the grace to enter these days with anticipation of our meeting. And when we open our soul to your presence, let your love, kindness flow over us and seep into the pockets of our hearts. We ask this for your sake and for your love. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the same night when he's betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, after supper, he took the cup when he had supped, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the remission of sins. This do as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Please be seated.